0: I'm going to share just a very brief update, kind of a mid-year update on some vision things, some project stuff, and some things that are just happening with inside the church. And so when I want to encourage you, that'll probably be, I'll say it's going to be about 10 minutes. Uh, I could probably graduate that into about an hour and 10 minutes. So uh, someone's going to help me stay on track, and uh, I hope that you will uh, be a part of that as well. So invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. John mentioned that I have a 10-point sermon this morning, and it really is 10 points, but it's going to be kind of a quick 10 points, and I really want to encourage you to either A, use your phone, and take photos of the screen that will be behind me, because these are the I am statements that Jesus makes. These are the I am statements that Jesus makes, and he's making the declaration to you and to me who he is who He is, and that has implication to you and I. in his all in all for you and I. And what that implication can mean, and that encouragement from the Word of God, and reminder to us, and perhaps the scenarios of life that we are going through. And so, I draw your attention first to, uh, really, number one, the, where Jesus makes the statement in John chapter 8, And verse 12. And so I'd like to read these first 12 verses in John chapter 8. This is the story of the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. Or at least minimally, there was the accusation that she was caught in the very act of adultery. So read with me. It picks up really in verse 53. uh, Because chapter 8 verse 1 starts with a conjunction with the word but. And so we refer back. And uh, it says that everyone went to his own house. So Jesus, on that last day of the great festival, the Feast of Tabernacles, he did some amazing things, said some amazing things. And uh, it says after this, everybody went to their own space. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him. And he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, the reason I say that this is a purporting and not necessarily a certainty is that it was not past the Pharisees to lie, number one, even though that they are supposed to be doctors of the law and supposed to be uh, above reproach. We know because Jesus said, you seek to kill me. And they say, now we know you have a demon, for you say we seek to kill you. As if they weren't seeking to kill him. They were seeking to find cause to give him death, and they wanted to take his life. And so they're not beyond lying. And to have someone caught in the very act of adultery, in this culture, an accusation had to be observed by a minimum of two witnesses. So either A, it was a setup and it occurred, or B, it may not have occurred, or C, by some random happenstance someone knew something that was going on and brought someone with them to the space where this very act could have been occurring. You can see, and we have history and know from the history of the Jews and the antiquity of the Jews, that there was literally no one ever stoned for the very act of adultery because of the realities of trying or being able to be caught in that very act. And so it's an accusation, and they're saying it was the very act, but it's possibility that this didn't even happen. Now, if you want to listen to the sermon from a couple of weeks ago, we would encourage you to do so because there's some phenomenal realities associated with Jesus who is the living water and the dust of the floor of the quote-unquote tabernacle or temple and those being mixed. And so you just got to go and do a little research. You can read Numbers chapter 15. I encourage you to do so and then listen to that message. So They said she was caught in the very act. Verse 5. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? Now you can see where they could be trying to catch him. What if she never actually was caught in the act and they're asking him to pass judgment one way or the other? Moses says this and this is what's to happen. What do you say? So if she never actually did anything and he responds, They got him caught. You're not Messiah. And so you can see that this could be very, very convoluted. Nevertheless, this they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him Throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke again, saying, or spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Father, in the next few moments, as we consider these epic statements, these epic truths of the person, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, may God, we realize once again and afresh who you are, and who you are to us, who you are for us, and all that you want in us, God, be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name, and everyone a so strong, amen. amen. I am the light of the world. Jesus declares, and he says, He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So here's the big idea. Here's the big idea. If you're taking notes, just write this. Jesus redirects my walk of darkness to a walk that is in the light. I was once walking this way, Jesus came into my life, and now I'm walking this way. The Bible says that the walk of the righteous or the life of the righteous shines brighter and brighter until the fullness of day. And if we will continue to walk with the Lord, we can walk in the light as He is in the light. And we all know what it was like to walk in the darkness. I can tell you tales and stories of my old life before I knew Jesus. My kids can recount the story of how I used to live. They've heard it time and time and time again. And believe me, It's not worthy of glorifying the things that I was engaged in and the inventions of evil and wrongdoing and bad behavior and just the simplicity of violating simple rules around the house, let alone big rules around the community. Blah, blah, blah. It was bad news. But the good news is Jesus came in. And he came in my heart and my life. And just like those fellas, those Pharisees who had conviction in their heart because the Scripture says that the Spirit convicts the world with regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. They were being convicted from the outside in. Now the Spirit of God was living in me, and I was being convicted and convinced from the inside out. And He began to transform the very way I think you have it in your life, that transformation of how I think. And he modified and transformed even the motives and the intents of my own heart. The walk of darkness has been changed. And here's the caveat for you and I. We can receive Jesus as Savior, but if we don't come under his Lordship, we can continue to walk in darkness. And God doesn't want us there. Why would God not want us to continue to walk in darkness? Because our sin separates us from our Father. And we position ourselves to not be in the place to be under the blessings of God. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we position ourselves to be in the blessings of the Lord. And don't you know that every good and perfect gift flows from the Father of Lights, And he wants to bestow gifts and blessings on his children. He's a good God, amen? He's a good God. I heard a story one time told of a man who had a dream. And in this dream, he went to heaven and he was shown everything in heaven. And it was just amazing, and as he was walking through heaven, our Savior took him through and showed him all these magnificent things of heaven, but he noticed very conspicuously that Jesus did not show him the contents of a large warehouse, and so in the dream, the man asked Jesus, Jesus, you've shown me all of this marvelous inheritance of heaven, but I noticed that we didn't get to see the warehouse, this massive warehouse. And Jesus walked into the doors of the warehouse and opened the doors, and inside were these marvelous wrapped packages, beautiful bows, beautiful wrapping, some very large, some small, but packed tight. And he said, why would you have withheld this from me? And he said, these are the gifts that you didn't receive because you weren't walking with me. The blessings that I wanted to bestow upon you are because of your lack of obedience. They were withheld from you by yourself, and so Is that true? All I can say is, guys, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we are walking in the blessings of the Lord, every spiritual blessing, all of the promises, and God wants to bestow those on us. That's good news for you and I. So the caveat is, it says, if he who follows me, are you following the Lord? Are you following? From the youngest to the oldest in this room. It's it's that little two-letter word, if, if you will be my disciple, Jesus said. If you will be, will you be? Will you be? The second I am statement that Jesus makes He says in John chapter 6 and verse 35 and Jesus said to them I am the bread of life he who comes to me shall never hunger you might underline the word never that's a qualifier that's an adjective never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Hunger and thirst. So often, when we think of the words hunger and thirst, we think of food, like a barbecue today, and bratwurst and Louisiana lots and Hebrew Nationals and side dishes and burgers and cheese. And when we think of thirst, we think of those things that would satisfy us. <clears throat> Recently, I've been doing some landscaping. Somebody saw me yesterday and said, wow man, you are tan. What have you been doing? You've been on vacation." I said, no, I've been out doing landscaping, and uh, so I have a, a major farmer's tan. I mean, it stops right at my neckline, and mostly my wrist. Sometimes I have a short sleeve shirt on. But, no, no, no. And uh, we, th- we think of, again, uh, food and uh, drink, but of that drink in those landscaping moments, I have been out in the... I mean, Levi showed up one day and he said, I don't think I've seen so many beads of sweat on one forehead before in my (laughs) life. I said, bro, I need some satisfying drink. And so we have Gatorade and we have ice water. And boy, when you start drinking that cold water on that hot day, it's like you can't stop. You just keep drinking because it's so satisfying. But that's not all that Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about food and drink Like we might suppose we talk about when we talk about food and drink. He's talking about any hunger that you have on any level. Any thirst that you might have on any level. If there's a void in your life and you're trying to fill that void, that's a hunger. And that's a thirst. And Jesus says, I will fill that. I am the bread of life. I will fully satisfy you, And that's the big idea, that Jesus completely satisfies. Completely satisfies. If there's a space in your life where you are not satisfied, if there is a space in your life where you are not fulfilled, if there is a space in your life that is wanting, I submit to you today that Jesus will fill that need. Jesus will fill that want. Jesus will fill that hunger. Jesus will fill that thirst. How does it work? How does he fill that? I can tell you how he has filled it for me. And I have story after story after story. I remember years ago when I told my mom that I wanted to ask for Kim's hand in marriage. And she says, well, you can't do that. And I said, why? And she says, well, you're not ready for marriage. And uh, she said, that wouldn't be fair to her. And uh, I remember having a conversation with my mom at that time about the things that we love about the Lord. What are the things that we love about the Lord? And Dennis, you had us just a moment ago, what are the things that we're thankful for? And lots of people were making declarations of things that we're thankful for. And... uh, you know, the first thing I said, I think you heard me say that, it was His kindness. His kindness. I'm so thankful for the Lord's kindness in my life. He's been kind to me. And it, it has to do with what I was missing in my life. And He filled this kindness in my life, and I, I correlate that to the conversation I had with my mom, mostly because we were talking about relationship. I, I said to my mom at that time, Mom, Have you talked to the Lord about who I'm supposed to be marrying? Because I certainly have been for the last several years. And I've been asking God, and God's been directing my life, and he's been showing me things. And So we had this amazing conversation that ensued from there. And what ensued from there was, what do you love about the Lord? What do you love about, has he satisfied what's in your life? Has he fulfilled? And Jesus had already begun satisfying me I, I, I had stopped doing some of the things that I had practiced doing for many years previous because Jesus had fulfilled a need that I was trying to fill and so all those things to say I would just say to you no matter what is lacking maybe you're maybe you're looking for some kindness in your life have you noticed that the world can be pretty rude these days can be pretty abrupt it can be pretty rough around the edges at work. It can be pretty rough around the edges in, in community. And all you have to do is drive into to the same-way parking lot at about 5 o'clock on any week night. And notice that there's no parking spaces anywhere at the second wave up here. And drivers are frustrated. And there's just, it's not very cooperative. All that to say, Jesus will meet you of your need, of kindness in your life. I know he did for me. Or whatever that need may be, he will fulfill that need. The Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. I would just encourage you, the more we spend time with Jesus, the more we spend time with Jesus' family, you and me, the more we spend time together as a church, we'll realize all of that fulfillment in God's relationships on this level and our relationship with him on this level. So I want to encourage you, he is the bread of life. Jesus said, eat and drink. And so let's let's step up to the buffet table of heaven and enjoy. Number three, he says, I am the door, I am the gate. John chapter 10, verse nine, he says, I am the door, or I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and and go out and find pasture. Here's the big idea: Jesus is a safe place. He's a safe place. I remember years and years ago when we first started having children. I had all these invention ideas. I don't know appreciate this. I mean, I'm like you know, like idea guy, right? And so I remember thinking, man, we should make like a, a, a safe zone for the kids where they can crawl around in the house and so I designed and I, I, I got these little uh, flanges and uh, put sticks in them and then I put this material across and I had like velcro on the bottom and you could stick it on the carpet so it wouldn't fall over and I connected all four pieces together and I thought well this is a great idea but what if we want to put it on the linoleum so I made the bottoms to where you could take those off and put suction cups and so we could stick them on the floor. And like when Kim was cooking in the kitchen, I had this idea when the, you know, if the oven doors open, that's like an unsafe zone for kids who might want to come up and put their hands on that. So I created where you could have just three of them and it made a blockade so the kids couldn't get in there. But there was a little passage door for mom and dad, you know, to take the food out of the oven. And I thought, this is a brilliant idea. And I said, if you get to the park with your friends, you take the suction cup or the velcro off, and you put the little stake on there, and you can stick it in the earth. And then they can connect all the pieces. So I bring my four pieces. Jesse brings his four pieces. Brian, Snyder and Teresa, they bring their four pieces. we can have all the kids inside. And we can have this big space. And it was just great. And I thought, this is an invention waiting to happen. And I called it the Kids' Okay Corral. And I thought, this is so epic, man. I love this. And I took it to the patent office, and they said, yeah, this already exists. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm always a day late, God-assured, but the door, he's the gate. He's a safe place. The kids are safe. We're safe inside, Jesus. We're safe on the inside. If we'll stay on the inside. He says you can come and go. And the come and go part is not like I'm going to walk out of salvation and step back into salvation. I'm going to stay in Jesus where I go. And where I tread my feet, I'm going to take Jesus because I'm in Christ. In Him, all of the promises of God are yes. In Him, and amen, in Him. That's a safe place. That's safe. Jesus is safe. There are folks out there right now who are struggling. Struggling. Not feeling safe. Not feeling protection. Not realizing that He is our shield. He is our. The Bible says, Abraham, when God spoke to Abraham, Abraham said, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Paul, writing to the church of Galatia, says, we are blessed with believing Abraham. In other words, the blessings of Abraham are ours as believers. And, He is our shield and our exceedingly great reward. There's safety in the Lord. Can I get an amen? Amen. That's good news. That's good news. Okay, number four, I am the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verses 11 and 14. He says this twice, John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep. And I'm known by my own. Here's the big idea. God, or Jesus, he's our protector. He's our protector. The shepherd protects the sheep. And the shepherd, the good shepherd, will give his life for the sheep. And we know Jesus did that, in fact. But in addition to giving his life literally on the cross at Calvary, he will protect his children. The hireling shepherd will run when the wolf comes. The hireling shepherd will run when the bear comes. But what did David do when the bear came? He killed the bear. What did David do when the lion came? He killed the lion to protect the sheep. That's a picture. Remember, David was a man after God's own heart. That's that's God's heart toward us. He's our protector. Thanks be to God. I, have, I told a story at our house on Thursday night. I didn't know Dennis and Jill hadn't heard that. And I knew uh, Shirley and Tim certainly hadn't heard it. And my kids have heard it enough times. I'm not going to tell you this morning. But I will just simply say this. Unequivocally, God is our protector. My daughter and son-in-law, they're like, yeah, please don't tell that story. <laughs> anyway, let's go on. You can ask me later. and I'll you for about an hour. Um, He's our protecting. Number five and number six. And let me me say this about the Good Shepherd. Again, that's if we stay in the fold. Now, I love this about Jesus. If you wander from the fold, he leaves the 99 and goes for the 1. He'll come after you. But don't, don't keep running. If you wander, you feel Jesus getting a hold of your feet. Let him get a hold of your feet. Shepherds, if they had a particular sheep that would continue to wander, they would break one of their legs. And then he would put the sheep around his neck. You've seen the pictures. Those are actual photographs of Jesus, by the way. (laughs) With With a lamb around his neck. That was a typical picture of a good shepherd that had a sheep that would wander and he would break a leg, and the sheep would get used to the master's smell, his voice, and his habit, so that he wouldn't stop wandering. Don't be the kind of sheep that wanders and need to get your leg broken from the Lord. I don't mean literally, but be careful, right? I mean, be careful, because he loves us that much. He loves us that much. Number five and number six, John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am, and this is Mary... And this was the story of Lazarus, which will be there in uh, a number of months, I'm sure. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So here's the big idea. Jesus gives eternal life to you and to me. Eternal life. If your faith is in Jesus today, you're born again. You are Eternity now, but it will not end when you die physically. You will simply take your last breath here, and you will take your next breath there. Eternal life. That's amazing. But the gift of God is eternal life. Every good and perfect gift flows from the Father of lights. Eternal life is a good gift. Can I get an amen? amen? Look at your neighbor and say, you're going to live forever. John, yeah, you're going to live forever. <laughs> and now turn back and say, with me too. <laughs> so hopefully we can figure out how to get along with one another. But we're going to live together in community in heaven. I can't wait to meet some of our patriarchs when we get there. Eternal life is in Jesus. If you know someone whose faith is not in Christ, this is epic. He is the resurrection. He is the life. We want to be family members in the community of God and community of the body of Christ that are sharing our faith with those who meet Jesus. We want to convey the love of God to those who desperately need the Lord. Because outside of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, they will spend an eternity separated from God. And they need Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. Number seven and number eight, Jesus says in John 14 and verse six, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Gang, here's the big idea: relationship with the Father is only through Jesus to be rightly related to our Father in heaven. Now we've all had fathers on this earth, and no matter what your exposure or what your experience or what that scenario was like on a scale of 1 to 10, good, bad, or indifferent, the scripture declares that he is the father to the fatherless. And no matter where we have been in that arena, God, our heavenly father, is good. He's good. He's good. I tried to be a good father. Two of my children are here today, and they know my foibles and they know my faults. It's real simple because there's only three. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) One of them's not being honest. No, I'm kidding. They know because you can't hide when you live together for long periods of time. You can fake even your relationship with God here on a Sunday morning. You can fake it. But you spend time with someone and you get to know someone. And I know I've tried to be a good father, but in the shortcomings of my life, I'm so thankful that they are connected with their heavenly father. I think one thing that Kim and I did, and I think we did this right, from, a, from the earliest onset that our children were born, we read so that they would, in turn, desire relationship with their Heavenly Father. And so I would say to every young parent or future parent in the room, or parents that may even have young adult kids, make a habit of reading the Word of God to your kids. I was telling the kids recently, I think it was Olivia, uh, I was telling Olivia we went shopping for some clothes uh, with her because she's uh, carrying our first grandchild. And uh yeah, it's very exciting. So I just I I shared, hey, when you and Wes as young parents begin to read the word of God. Even now you can read the word of God while you're pregnant not allowed, because the child that's being formed in your womb will hear your voice. And the word of God is living and active. And we can begin to read God's word. As couples, read God's word. This this is living and active, and it's good and it's transformative and there's power. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. When Jesus faced temptation in the wilderness for the 40 days, and we have three accounts, but it wasn't just three accounts that the devil showed up, in that 40 days, he was tempted just like you and I are tempted. You know, sometimes we get tempted perpetually, right? Where thoughts will come into our mind, and we have to cast the thought down, and then it shows back up. We have to cast it down, and it shows back up. We have to cast it down, and it shows back up. We have to cast it down, and it shows back up. We have to cast it down, and it showed back up, and then we have to get, I mean, Jesus combated temptation by quoting, the Word of God. There's power in the Word, And so, when I think of this big idea back to the Father, we want to direct people into relationship with our good and heavenly Father. And so he says, I am the way, and I I am the life again. So the big idea in Jesus is to back to our Father. If you, no matter your relationship with your earthly father, your heavenly father is not like that. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. He's not upset with you. Did that? And I remember my dad. My dad passed away when I was 17 years old. He was 47 years old. He died. My dad was an angry man. I remember my dad. Oh, I can tell you stories about my dad. Mm -mm -mm. Thanks be to God, three months before he passed away, he received Jesus as his Lord and Savior. So I get to see my dad again in heaven. Come on, that's good news, right? But my father in heaven is not like my dad. My dad was angry. And God's not angry at you. He's not doing things in your life. Things aren't happening in your life as punitive damage. For decisions you've made. Oh, there are consequences for the decisions we make, right? Everybody gets that. But God is not punishing you in anger. Jesus took all that. He took it all. The punitive damage for sin, He took it all. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus bore all that. Can I get an amen? Amen. He took it all. He took it all. The punitive damage for your sin, your iniquity, your, just your trespass, I choose to violate. He took all that. So there is none because it's already been judged. Praise be to God. So he's loving and he loves us. Number nine, as the worship team is coming back up, Jesus says in John 15 and verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Here's the big idea. pleasant game. Jesus is our source. He's our source. the The branches they can do. They have no life in and of themselves. All of the nutrients come through the vine and feed. The branch. He's the vine where the branches. He's our source. He's our source, and He's our source of everything and for everything. If you're going anywhere to have your needs met other than Jesus, I want to help you and encourage you and redirect you to go to the Lord first. Watch what God does. You say, well, I'm short in finances and so I'm going to go to work. Yes, that's right. Be diligent. But pray first and ask the Lord to bless and open more doors and more provision for you in your life. And He will. Let's not go make decisions and then after we make decisions, say, God, will you please bless this because I'm now engaged in this. Here's the crazy part. Someone could say, well, I pray if I pray, and that's what He had me do. What difference does it make if I pray before or after? I think it's a faith statement, and it's a trust statement. Let's Let's make it a habit to go to the Lord first. He may have you do the very same thing that was in your heart, but here's the thing. Who put the idea in your heart in the first place? God. Remember Proverbs 3, 5, 6? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding of things, but acknowledge Him in all your ways. He's already putting ideas in your heart. I mean, the kids' okay corral, that was God's idea. He just probably wanted me to invent it for my own family here. something I don't know. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, He's our source. He's our source. Will you put your hope and your faith and your trust in Him? Listen, if you're going through a hardship right now, a heartache, and I'm going to invite you to stand at this time. If you're going through a hardship or a heartache, maybe there's depression, maybe there's discouragement, maybe there's despair, and it could be so heavy, so heavy, and we're asking the questions, why? Why, God? Why every single time? I go to do this, this happens. Or every time I go to do this, this happens. Or every time I try to get up on my feet, the carpet gets pulled out from underneath me. Why, 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 And we don't have good answers because we don't know why. But this much I know. The psalmist said it this way, why so downcast, oh my soul. Put your hope in God. Put your hope saying he's never failed me yet this is my confidence he's never failed me yet now that here's the reality he never will fail you because he can't fail he can't Period. so he never will so put your hope in the Lord trust in God and when you don't know, it doesn't make sense keep trusting keep trusting And it may not make sense on this side of eternity. But when you get face to face with him, you'll go, Oh, that makes sense. Thanks, Lord. I didn't know what work of glory you were trying to do in my life, but now I say, thank you, Lord. He's working. He's working. He's working. So number 10. He says, I am. I am. He claims That eternal name of God, the great I Am, that was given at the burning bush with Moses. Is the eternal I Am, I Am God, which means He is our all in all. He's our all in all. So no matter, even these nine, if they didn't cover something that you may be experiencing going through, good news is, number 10, He is the I Am. He is God. I'm going to pray, and our worship team is going to lead us in a song, and then Pastor Dennis is going to close the benediction. And then we're please, please, please hop in your rigs and join us up at the barbecue. And it's, you can just—I mean, you can go up immediately. You can help break down a few chairs if you want to do that. But just bolt right up the street. It's just straight on Sunnyside Road to 190th, and they're on the right end. The Damascus campus. And so please join us for the Father. Let's pray, Father. As we stand in the space, these altars of our own seats, for some of us, we've not looked to Jesus in every area of our life. And Lord, we want to make today a day of commitment. We want to say yes to Jesus. we feel unsafe and we need to come under Jesus in a greater measure and give Jesus the things that we work out. Your word says to cast our cares upon you because you care for us. That you will carry our burdens so that we don't have to. Lord, will you help us? Help us to put our faith and trust in you and all things, Lord. That we would live in light of who you are. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a day. And that, Lord, our joy would be complete because we are finding rest, a Sabbath day's rest in you. But it's not just a day rest, it's a Sabbath life rest in you. And so we can live at peace in all these things. Though we go through sorrows, though we may go through trial and tribulation, we can be at peace because we are in you. And all of these things apply in our lives. And so, Lord, will you be glorified help us. This day, we want to recommit ourselves to you, to your lordship. Help us. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all kinds of people so strong. Amen. Amen. Sing this, sing this song for those guys. And I will sing, sing, sing